The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers. I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe. The Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. This is the Pick 6 Podcast, and this is the Divisional Round Recap, Sunday edition. That's Will Brinson. That's John Breach. I'm, of course, Brian Wilson. Boys, starting Western New York. Got to go to Buffalo, where the Bills had beaten the Chiefs the last three times in the regular season. Patrick Mahomes, you may have heard, had never played a road playoff game. After one of the best games of the season, Mahomes and the Chiefs are now 3-0 in the postseason against the old Bills. Kansas City is going to the AFC Championship game for a sixth consecutive year, in fact, Mahomes has never not played in an AFC championship game, which is bonkers. So let's talk about the old game there. All right, Breach. I panned the Chiefs offense for no showing for much of the season. Uh, Brenton said at some point they're going to turn the corner. That quarter happened to be in Buffalo on Sunday I did, I did not expect that. Uh, that it's that, a pretty that, cold that weather. Hold on. That apology to be that fast. All right, Ray, wait a second. We'll get to you. Sit down there and relax. All right, but that wasn't the case in Buffalo, Breach. How surprised were you? that the Chiefs were able to flip the switch and look like the Chiefs were used to seeing without old Tyree Kill out there. Well, I think we kind of said it after the Chiefs got into the playoffs. After they beat the Dolphins 26-7, to they won by 19 points. Is that The Chiefs are the playoffs. They're dangerous. Who cares what they looked like during the season? You have a quarterback who's been the five straight AFC championships, now six straight. He's got two MVPs. He's won Super Bowls. You get to the playoffs, you are automatically probably the most dangerous team in the playoffs. Uh, now that being said, I expected them to have some success. Actually, the, my final score prediction was 27, 24, except I predicted the bills to win. So uh, offensively, it did kind of play out how I thought it would, but the fact that the chiefs only punted one time in this game, I mean, the bills just had no idea what to do, no idea how to stop them. And it was a mixture thing. It's not like Patrick Mahomes threw for 400 yards. He threw for 215 yards and two touchdowns. You had Pacheco coming up with a big run whenever the Chiefs needed one. I mean, you have three different guys on the Chiefs roster who had a run of at least 20 yards. That mm. is nuts. That's not something you usually see. And so the Chiefs offense was just running pretty efficiently. And uh, as Brinson talked about, 
this was this is what we were waiting for is the the Chiefs offense to kind of go off and that's what happened. What do you think, Willie Bear? Yeah, I mean that's what you know. I said I've been saying for weeks. I thought it was entirely possible that the Chiefs would just sort of flip a switch when they got to the playoffs. That we see that defenses do this all the time. That it wouldn't be that crazy if the Chiefs offense did it because they had Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid calling the plays, and Travis Kelsey there. You know, two, three Hall of Fame guys. Uh, Rasheed Rice has been coming on strong, and if they would stop. Uh, Handing Miko Hartman the ball, they might have put this game away sooner. Um, I, I do think, though, that is you know the Chiefs' offense was impressive, but to me, the bigger story. I mean, look, I mean, the, look, the Chiefs could Chiefs could win the Super Bowl. Wouldn't be that shocking, you know? Um, I think I think that they'll have their hands full with the Ravens, but as good as that, like I think if you're Baltimore, you probably would have preferred Buffalo coming in. Yeah, we'll get to Kansas that. City. I, let's talk about the Chiefs. That's what I'm saying. I, I think that Kansas City is that's literally what I'm doing. Um, yeah, I think that Kansas City is because of Mahomes, because of Kelsey, because of Andy Reid, because of how good the defense has played, although they got ran on pretty good for stretches in this game. Like, <laughs> I don't know, man. I mean, it's they have won two Super Bowls in the last five years, and wouldn't be surprising if they won a third. Preach, how surprised were you with the way that Isaiah Pacheco ran? I think uh, Nate Burleson described him in the pregame. Uh, he runs like a, a kid trying on a new pair of shoes, which is hysterical. And also, you can't not think about that when you see him run because he runs so hard. He didn't play in the first matchup in the game that was decided by a, a, <laughs> a boneheaded play, if you will, producer Harry, by Kadarius Tony at the end there. He played in this game, averaged uh, 6.5 yards per carry. Clyde Edwards-Alaire um, spelled him a couple times. 15.5 yards per carry. Uh, and Patrick Mahomes had, you know, Josh Allen did a lot of the running, but Patrick Mahomes also had a couple nifty runs there. It felt, it didn't feel tit for tat because the the rushing was certainly unbalanced in the first half in, in favor of the Bills. But by the time it was over, it felt like neither defense had an answer. doesn't matter for the Bills now because they're not playing. Uh, but for the Chiefs, uh, to, to Brent's point, they have some things to figure out defensively. But I, I was impressed with the balance on the offense. Yeah, I think that actually played a big factor in why there weren't any sacks. I mean, Josh Allen didn't get sacked. Patrick Mahomes didn't get sacked. And when you're running the ball so efficiently, it's, it kind of slows down the pass rush because they have to be ready to keep you from running the ball. And neither team could really do that because both these teams finished with over 140 yards rushing. It, for Pacheco, though, it really felt like the Chiefs offense has evolved and it has looked much better over the past uh three or four weeks, and it has been with him. I mean, I remember the Bengals game. Uh, he went off against the Bengals and ran for 130 yards, I think, and it was just like, wow, I, he hasn't done anything like this all season. I think he had maybe one or two 100-yard games going into that game, and, and it was just like, wow, if he runs like this, the Chiefs can win the Super Bowl because Patrick Mahomes has a guy behind him who's putting up big yardage. He ran for almost 100 yards against the Dolphins and then comes out and runs for 97 in this game. So he's become such a key part of this offense, and that's the kind of guy that the Chiefs need. It. You can have Patrick Mahomes only throw for 215 yards and win games because you have Pacheco going running like this. 
Yeah, big games from MVS as well, which hadn't been the case historically. He he had had some struggles, but he made some big catches down the field. Uh, a couple of things. I'll know this from our buddy Jay Morrison, who's a PFN now, covers the Bengals. He tweeted this at halftime when the, the Bills were up 17-13. The Chiefs have allowed the Bills to gain 124 yards on the ground. Since 1991, there have been 20 teams that allowed at least 124 rushing yards in the first half uh, of, the, of a postseason game. All 20 had lost. Uh, the script was flipped, and we'll talk about why in a second. There are a couple of reasons. One very notable one at the end that delves into breaches territory, which makes him very sad. One other thing I'll mention, uh, when Kelsey scored his first touchdown in this game, that was the first time in eight games he scored a touchdown. Added another one, and now Mahomes and Kelsey have 16 touchdowns in the postseason, which is best all-time in human history. That's crazy. All right. There you go. Nice job, producer. You got the graphic. Tom Brady and, and Gronk are behind with 15, and then Joe Montana and Jerry Rice with 12, which is bonkers. All right, Breach, let's talk about the elephant in the room. You're a special teams correspondent. There are a couple of special teams moments in this game. I thought Jay Feely did a good job uh, explaining the fake punt, and we'll hit on that at some point as well. But the game essentially ended uh, when Tyler Bass honked a 43-yarder with just under two minutes to go, and it looked like a slice. Like So you take us through the process. What happened? Went one for three last, last week in, against the – the Steelers in Buffalo, not nearly as cold. The weather's not nearly as bad. How do you miss that? Well, I do wonder what the Bills' concern level was going into this game. Like Tyler Bass is a pretty good kicker, but when you look at what they did in the wild card round and you have two missed field goals, one was blocked, but one he missed from 27 yards, you can't feel completely comfortable going into this game. And look, this is a pressure kick. The best kickers crack under pressure. You're losing. There's under two minutes left. If you miss this, the game is Almost certainly over. The Bills did have a couple timeouts. They, they could have extended it if they got a stop. But all the pressure is on you, and that's not an easy thing to deal with, especially when you're kicking in 30-mile-an-hour wins. I mean, this was Tyler Bass. He didn't hit it horribly. I mean, the wind took it. He kind of cut into it, and so that's what caused it to miss. And I think that we were talking about before the podcast where this would be Tyler Bass's last game in Buffalo. And look, it is tough to mentally recover from something like this. And Harry's got the graphic up there of wide right. Jim Nance had a fantastic call that probably had every Bills fan in tears uh, from having yeah, fantastic for who? the repressed memory of Super Bowl 25 come back in their head. Obviously, Scott Norwood going wide right in that loss to the Giants and then Bass going wide right in this loss tonight. And look, I will say that missing a key field goal in the playoffs can be tough to mentally recover from. We've seen multiple kickers not kick for their team the next season. Blair Walsh missed that kick against the Vi or against the Seahawks. You remember that 10-9 game? Yeah, uh, I'm, let me tell you this quickly, Brick. I'm laughing because uh, Spielman was the general manager, and he was sitting in the same angle as a lot of fans who thought the, the, the kick was good. So he found out four seconds later that the, the field goal was honked because there was a moment where a lot of people thought he that because it was the outdoor stadium in Minnesota for the Gophers while they were building the new one. And it, it was a close one. It was a 27-yard field goal. You had Billy Cundiff, uh, former Ravens kicker, before Justin Tucker missed a field goal uh, against the Patriots. And that cost him. He never kicked for the Ravens again. You had Shane Graham miss a couple field goals for the Bengals on uh, the 2009 playoffs against the Jets. He never kicked for the Bengals again. So it's just... Mm. You, Mike Vanderjack is probably the most famous example, uh, Ryan, against your Steelers in the 2005 playoffs. He had a 46-yard field goal, and that was the all-time. Like When kickers miss now in this situation, you Vanderjacked it. That's kind of what yeah. happened. That he missed this by 15 yards. It was like a throw-in in soccer. He missed it so far right. 
Yes, it, it was that bad. So, yeah, I mean, and when he goes out in the field next season, fans are going to feel uncomfortable. If he misses anything, even more uncomfortable. So it will be interesting to see how he reacts to this. But you know what? I'm not the only special teams guru. I want to know Brinson's opinion on the fake punt. Um, I don't know. Uh, I think Tamar Hamlin probably already had comeback player of the year sewed up. Don't think you needed to be that aggressive. I, I mean, as for, look, Tyler, as for Tyler Bass, I, I you could say when he goes out there next year, but it's going to be a long offseason living in Buffalo if you're Tyler Bass. Like, you know, you're the opposite of... You know, like Sean McDermott and Josh Allen win a Super Bowl. You'll never buy anything in Buffalo again. Tyler Bass is not getting beers purchased for him in Buffalo. He's getting beers thrown on him if he goes out in Buffalo this offseason. And so, I mean, I think from that perspective, you know, you, I don't know. I, 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 to me, it felt like Buffalo was a little wishy-washy on when they wanted to be aggressive and when they, they didn't want to be. Um, I, th- I thought the whole time on that final drive, they should have been playing for a touchdown, like force Mahomes. do not give, I mean, Patrick Mahomes already took you to overtime with 13 seconds remaining previously in Arrowhead because you, you know, just the foibles of that, like, don't play for a field goal. Don't play for overtime. Don't play to give Patrick Mahomes a minute and 45 seconds left. I mean, go, go win the, like play every play call from Joe Brady to Josh Allen should have been designed to like potentially go for it on fourth down. Uh, and I thought that not doing that was kind of a disservice, especially if you're out there running fake punts, you know, you're kind of being aggressive on fourth down. You know, it, it didn't feel like that coaching staff was ever truly comfortable, except for the one stretch where they just pounded the ball in that run game, the same way they did against Dallas during the regular season. It never felt like they were truly comfortable, you know? And I, I get the fourth and nine, you can't go for it there. You got to kick it from the 26, but on third and nine, I would, I would have called a different play, whether it was a draw or a short pass, something to set up a possible decision to go for it on fourth down, because you're talking about a minute 43 left. Even if you make the field goal, I think there's a really good chance. Mahomes gets Harrison Bucker in range to beat you. And I think that point makes sense real quick. is just because even if he makes a field goal, the game's not over. It's not over at all. So it's, it's, Crazy after letting the Chiefs score in 13 seconds two years ago, they thought letting them score and, you know, 147 or whatever it would have taken. Well, let's talk about that final drive. But before we do that, Breach, do you want to comment on why the fake punt was a thing that happened early in the fourth quarter when it was 27-24? Look, Jay Feely had the best theory, which was the Chiefs had 10 guys on the field. And so (laughs) was it called or was it audibled into? That's what I would like to know. He seemed to think that it was audibled into. And if that is, that's, I mean, that's, oof. Oof. But I mean, here's the thing. If you get it, and it was third and five uh, from your own 30-yard line, if you get it, then we're yelling about why the special teams on the Chiefs suck so bad, why they have 10 guys out there. Because that's the conversation we had in the Ohio State-Notre Dame game twice. They had 10 guys on the field at the end of that game, and we're still talking about it whenever that game comes up. They got but if lucky. you don't get it against 10 guys, <laughs> uh, that's that's pretty ugly. Now, what happens next, of course, is the Miko Harmon situation, but we'll, we'll circle back to that. Let's go to the final drive. So here's the thing about, and I get what you guys are saying. I'm not sure. I thought Joe Brady did a great job for 50 minutes, maybe even 52 or three minutes of this game. I thought they did a great job. They could not stop their run. Tony Romo pointed out uh, a lot. They had six line, offensive linemen on the field and very few times were able to slow up what they were doing run-wise, whether it was uh, James Cook or Mr. Uh, Josh Allen, but that last drive, here's how the drive started. 
uh, on their, let's see, where were they? Stephon uh, Diggs on their, drop. On their own 20. Diggs drop on a 85-yard bomb. Hit him literally in both hands. Look, I get it. If you're MVS and you drop that, whatever. Justin Watson drops it. I get it. Stephon Diggs, who had a very little impact in this game, especially in the second half, you got to catch that ball. So that happens. Then Josh Allen tries to take over, and he fumbles on the third down run. And Tamari Connor, oh, my God, just fall on the football, number 27. Instead, he tried to pick it up. They recovered it. Great play uh, by Dawson Knox or Don Kincaid to, to get the ball back. And they go for it on fourth down, and they get it. Great play call there to Khalil Shakir on the left side to, to move the sticks. And then after that, Spag started dialing to pressure, and Josh Allen had very little opportunity to, to set his feet and throw the football. And I thought that was the best series by a million miles for the Chiefs defense. So I'm not going to fault Joe Brady for not getting the ball in the end zone. Uh, maybe to Brent's point, you could have an opportunity to set up two plays uh, on third and fourth down. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't so much a Joe Brady criticism as it was a sort of uh, holistic approach. Like, I don't think Joe Brady gets to make the call on the fourth down stuff. I think that's all McDermott. It was more like you you have let this team rip your heart out so many times in the postseason. You gotta go. You gotta go get a touchdown and just not give Mahomes a chance to like go win it with a field goal with a minute forty three and two timeouts. Also worth noting, yeah, I just I agree with that. Other thing I, I want to point out, and you guys can weigh in on this. I thought Patrick Mahomes, excuse me, Josh Allen played zero Yolo ball until that last drive that we're talking about here. He had three turnover worthy plays, two picks, and then the fumble. Um, they they avoided all three. So you include that. Include the. I don't want to call it a naughty word. The thing that Michael Hartman did, he had two fumbles today. One that cost them at least three points, probably seven points. He he has no business being on the field in the playoffs <laughs> right now. He's been terrible. No business. But no was there business. any concern? It doesn't matter now. The season's over. That Josh Allen was showing signs of, of, of you lowering it up, or, or was that just him having to, to make things happen late in the game? I think it was probably just him pressing later. Uh, by the way, I you know we talk about Tyler Bass not being on this team. Do you know who else might not be on this team next year? Stephon Diggs. I thought you were going to say Sean McDermott. <laughs> oh, how dare you! Sir. I don't think that's. I don't think that's completely out of the question. Um, I mean, it would be weird to fire a guy after making it to the you know, losing like that in the divisional round against a Hall of Fame quarterback. But you know, the the um, the '90s Bulls, bad boy Piston vibes are very much real right now with the with the with the Bills and the Chiefs and or I, I don't even know. If there's a comp for when Brady and the you know like. Because the the Ravens made it past them, I mean maybe maybe the steel. I don't know if the Steelers are even worse because the Bills just haven't gotten past the Chiefs. They just can't get past the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs. Um, Diggs, though, remember this past offseason, because of the way they went out last year against the Great against the not against the Chiefs, but um, because of the way they went out last year, there was all that chatter surrounding Stephon Diggs, and then you have him go out and just drop a huge, just a, a, a pass, an incredible pass from Josh Allen. And great job by Jim Nance calling it live in, in real time. It hit him just right in the hands. Like, you have to catch that if you're a top-tier wide receiver in the NFL. And I could just see some drama surrounding Diggs and, and, and that whole situation again this offseason, which wouldn't shock me if it led to maybe his ouster in, in Buffalo. And, Wilson, you just went through this whole final drive. Let me point out that the Bills had first and 10 – at the Chiefs' 27-yard line with two minutes and 42 seconds left in the game, and they botched that. I mean, mm. that mm, is bad. And, and and to Brinson's point where he said, it, it, we've been talking about why are you kicking this field with 147 left, 
you ran it on first down, and then you ran the clock down to the two-minute warning because you don't want to leave a lot of time, and then incomplete, incomplete, and you left a lot of time. So it's you got to pick a strategy and kind of stick with it where make the Chiefs use their timeouts. If you want to run it three times or run it twice and, and throw it on third down or whatever, it just seemed like they were caught in between what they wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, so, so to only burn 13 more seconds off the clock on two downs and then not even gain a yard so that your kicker's stuck with a not very easy field goal on windy conditions, uh, that's that's what you, you know get. What? I, I wonder, Breach, if, if that first run that got stopped, if that was a turning point because they averaged five yards a carry and most of those felt like they were eight, nine, ten yards a carry the way they were dragging guys down the field. Tony Romo at one point couldn't quit talking about how the, the interior offensive line for the Bills kept displacing is the word he used, uh, the Chiefs' defensive line. And they, I think on that play, they sent eight or nine guys. And I don't know if they panicked or like, all right, we got to get this thing going. But I, I don't disagree. I'm okay with using Josh. You use Josh Allen's legs the entire day. And I was yeah. thinking throughout the game, how many hits do you want this guy to take? But I'm like, well, yeah, if you win the Super Bowl, he can rest up in the offseason. He probably feels the same way. But he took some licks today, more than I, I was he, accustomed to him. He had Shakir wide open across the middle in the end zone on that first play on the, uh, the second down coming out of the two-minute warning too, right? I mean, like that was... Uh, I think he had digs on the under, but Chris Jones hit him in the face. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying like it was like a bad, like a total egg. I mean, just, he just had him. And if he, you know, you got to be careful. You don't want to throw it up there. You can't, you know, can't have an interception or anything like that. But yeah, you don't want to Jordan love it. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's sort of like, it, it almost, it's almost like, the fact that they picked up that first down that Breach mentioned with 242 left that got them inside of field goal range, like comfortable field goal range, you feel like at that point they decided to change sort of their process and say, okay, we are close enough. Let's like let's not give away this field goal. And that playing scared like that against Patrick Mahomes is just a bad way to approach it. You just got to like go and like go get the touchdown. And then force Mahomes to go score a touchdown of his own with, you know, 30 seconds left or something like that. And, and he could easily do it, but at least make him go do it. I, I hate putting it on a kicker's leg in this spot. I, and I'd be interested in what you guys think. I don't fault the Bills at all. I just think that the defense for the Chiefs finally showed up on that final drive. Fantastic timing. And they just got outplayed over the final four and a half minutes. I think that's it. Like, I don't know what else I would do differently because the way that – Spagnolo was dialing things up. I thought they were working. Is, it, is that more complicated than that? I mean, the Bills offense struggled the fourth quarter. The fake punt came on a three and out, which really became yeah. a four and out. And then after that, they got the <laughs> they got the ball back after the fumble saved their lives. They get the ball back on the touchback. They go three and out again. And before putting together that drive that went down to get the missed field goal. So they, I mean, yeah, they did nothing in the fourth quarter. It's kind of like watching the Packers 49ers game where the Packers moved the ball up and down the field the whole game and yeah. then disappeared in the fourth quarter. Uh, so, it, yeah, I mean, you can I definitely mean, see that. Here's, here's the length of the Bills. So here's the Bills drives. 14 plays, 70 yards, field goal. 11 plays, 75 yards, touchdown. 5 plays, 15 yards, punt. 12 plays, 75 yards, touchdown. Halftime. One drive in the third quarter, by the way, 15 plays, 75 yards. That was the long running drive where they took eight up eight minutes and 25 seconds um, of of uh, of game clock. 15 plays, 75 yards, and that touchdown. And then four plays, seven yards, three plays, negative two yards, 16 plays, 54 yards. And I think to Breach's point about the fourth quarter, you can't have those two drives where you completely stall out, and then you really can't 
have a 16 play drive where you're setting up uh what did it, what did the what did the distance end up being for Bass there at the end? 44. Uh, you can't have a 16 play drive where you're setting up a 44 yard field goal and you leave a minute and a half left on the clock. Like that's that just the, the parameters of that are just just don't work. You've got to if you're going to have a 16 play drive it needs to be setting up a chip shot game winning field goal or or a chip shot field goal that sends the game into overtime and gives no chance like if you kick the field goal and it goes to overtime and there's no time on the clock that's one thing you can't leave even 13 seconds we learned that the hard way well the other thing i mean we can dump on tyler bass all he want isaiah Pacheco came out and ran for 9 yards and then ran for 3 yards game over like that defense didn't put up any fight at the end and it feels like it feels like the Bills offense ran for five million yards and the Chiefs didn't do much of anything. But at the end of the day, it was the Chiefs that had certainly more successful runs and more important runs in terms of the timing of the game. So I think there's plenty of blame to go around. I I ain't gonna blame I don't want to blame Tyler Bass. I feel bad for him just for breach's sake. I I, I, I wouldn't blame the defense either because they came up with a fumble that saved the game. If the if the Chiefs get a touchdown there, the game's over, Wilson. Yeah. They they knocked it out and got the turnover, and then the Chiefs got the ball back after the offense went three and out, and they forced another punt. So they got the ball back twice with the score 27-24, and the offense just wasn't able to do anything. So, I mean, yeah, you can blame them for that not being able to tackle Pacheco on that final series, but it's, they almost looked defeated at that point. Missed <laughs> field goal. We got two stops. What, what, what can we even do? to? It, you just succumb to the history of Bill's mm. football that no matter what you do, you're always going to end up losing in a playoff game, and it's painful. I didn't see that Chief, coming. Chief I said, stood up for Tyler Bass, and, and Breach turned the tables on me. Chiefs had five third downs. That's it. They had 361 yards, 7.7 .7 yards per play, 47 total plays, five, one of five on third down, uh, two of four in the red zone. Buffalo, seven of 14 on third down, two of three on fourth down, three of four in the red zone, two of two in goal to go. The Chiefs were two of four in goal to go. And average four point seven yards per play. I think a lot of that final drive probably brought down their yards per play. Look, I mean, I'll say this too about this game. The, I think it is very similar to what we got in the Rams and the Lions game. It was an a fantastic football game. It was one of those. I think our buddy Nick Costas pointed this out over text or maybe Twitter or something like that. But it's one of those where like you were nervous watching. I was nervous watching the game. Like I was like, like, like. I mean, it just felt it was so intense and it was really well played until the very end. And there's a couple of things just like that Rams built the Rams Lions game, excuse me, where you can kind of nitpick and say this or this. I mean, obviously you can nitpick the missed field goal and setting that whole thing up. Um, you know, you can nitpick giving it to Nicole Hardman at the goal line, but by and large, a really, really great football game. Um, that, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, one of these, you know, two really good teams was going to win. One was going to lose. And, it's probably the difference in the Bills having a chance to finally win a Super Bowl and Mahomes maybe getting a third. Yeah, the Chiefs did it on the road, and they did it with them making a bunch of boneheaded mistakes. All right, Ooh. let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about what this That's Chiefs what this you see that little has to line? do in order to get over the hump, and does it include uh, Josh Allen somehow having to do more than he currently does? Right after this.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Breach, I'll ask you. Producer Harry has this question in the rundown, and I think it's a fair question. Does Josh Allen have to be Superman for the Bills to win? Because I feel like he was as close to Superman as you could get for 58 and a half minutes on Sunday night. Yeah, I mean, apparently he has to be. He led the team in rushing. He scored two touchdowns. Uh, he went, he threw for 186 yards, which could have been better if he didn't have a couple drops. I mean, if Stefan Diggs catches that 60 yard bomb, now, uh, Josh Allen's having a 250 yard game with 72 rushing yards and two touchdowns. So it's, you know, he's probably wondering what he has to do. And I don't know what the answer is for the bills at this point. I thought this was the bills best shot at beating the Chiefs. You got them in Buffalo finally. You have your home crowd. Josh Allen's playing great football, and Patrick Mahomes doesn't have any weapons except for an aging Travis Kelsey who finally showed up and actually looked awesome. But the Chiefs just, they're, it's the Wiley Coyote trying to chase the roadrunner here. That's what it feels like with the Bills. I don't feel good about the Bills ever beating the Chiefs in the playoffs. It, it's just, it doesn't feel like, you know, we were talking about what changes they need to make and all these guys, Brenton mentioned, maybe Stefan Diggs isn't there next year and that there's going to be kind of an overhaul. And also, you know, you're looking at the five-year rule, which is I think it's no team has ever had a starting quarterback and a head coach together mm -hmm. and not win a Super Bowl within five years and then end up winning one after mm -hmm. that. Nice. So it's, you know, I don't, I don't, you, you don't start over. You've got Josh Allen and you're going to be a playoff team as long as you have Josh Allen. But what do you have to do to get over the hump? Because whatever they're doing isn't working. Yeah, I mean, look, it. this is one of those situations where, and I think you tend to see this in college a little bit more than the NFL, maybe. But Sean McDermott and, and I don't want to say Brandon Bean, because I think Brandon Bean would stick around in, in this particular scenario. But Sean McDermott has gotten, like, the question. here's the question. Has Sean McDermott gotten the Bills to their ceiling under Sean McDermott? Like, can can he win, can the Bills win a Super Bowl with Sean McDermott? And I don't know if the answer is yes, but I also don't know if the answer is because of Sean McDermott. It may just very well be incredibly similar to what happened for 20-plus years with the Patriots where you had Tom Brady, and Bill Belichick, and beating them is really hard, and it happens once every couple of years, and somebody sneaks into the AFC and steals the Super Bowl, and otherwise, you're just sort of dealing with that a lot. And, I mean, like, that was the case with a ton of teams in the in the in for years uh, in the AFC. And, you know, granted, the Ravens got through and got a Super Bowl. The Broncos got through and got a Super Bowl. Um, you know, the Steelers, Steelers had two in that time span, I guess, right? Two, both of those were in that time right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, like, you're, you know, it, 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 the issue is that it just magnifies everything when there's this one team you can't get past. Like, that was the whole thing with the, with the, with the Bulls and the Pistons in the 90s was it was like, 
the Bulls just can't beat this team. Like they're going to have to face them, and you don't get a seven game series to do it. You get one game, and in that one game, it's almost like the the personality of the coach is so important. And then you look, and I see Adam Schefter just tweeted this out a second ago, but here's a list of Bills free agents this offseason. Gabe Davis, Micah Hyde, Leonard Floyd, Tyrell Dodson, Dane Jackson, A.J. Epinesa, Taylor Rapp, Daquan Jones, Tim Settle, Jordan Phillips, Puna Ford, Linville Joseph, Shaq Lawson, Trent Sherfield, David Edwards, Latavius Murray, Ty Johnson, Damian Harris, Cameron Lewis, and Kyle Allen. Now, some of those guys don't matter, but that's a bunch of defensive players. And I think you could make the case that like I don't see how you could like move on and move it on in a different direction from a, from a coaching perspective, but like what if what if it just feels like you're like you're you're butting up against a wall, and the only reaction is to try to bring in somebody, especially like like would would Jim Harbaugh take the Buffalo job right now? He would, right? I don't know. Would, I don't would know. Belichick. I mean, hey, look, I, I, you're what you just said about has McDermott hit his ceiling? This is three straight seasons they've been knocked out in the divisional round. Because the last year lost to the Bengals, and obviously the 13 second loss two years ago to the Chiefs. And so that's what you've done since your AFC title game appearance in 2020, which was also a loss to the Chiefs. And it, it does feel like there's that hump you just can't get over. Right. And a lot of times the answer for billionaires when that, when you can't get over that hump is to, and I don't think we're like, like I don't think we're going to hear Sean McDermott's fired tomorrow or anything like that. But if the Bills decided, if you were going to make a move, if you're Buffalo, it's pretty rare when you can say there's definitely an upgrade out there. Like every single coach, like the Bills would obviously move to the immediate top of the list in terms of the coaching jobs available. And would you, would you, would you, I mean, I, if, if I was, if I was Terry Pagula, I would say, Sean, you've done an incredible job getting us to, a spot where we are perennially contending. I think you were an elite coach. I think that we may just have hit our ceiling. And then I would go give Jim Harbaugh $20 million a year, bring him to Buffalo and let him win a championship. Cause I think he would. Uh, okay. That sounds wild to me, given <laughs> how, how successful Sean McDermott's been and the grass isn't always greener, but I mean, look, if that's what Mr. Pagula wants to do, that's certainly his prerogative, but and I know there's been, you know, the Tyler Dunn story came out and there's some things going on on the inside, but that seemed to galvanize that team. And I don't think they lost today because of Sean McDermott. Well, and to be clear, the Bills were, as I'm sure many people are aware, my Super Bowl pick before the season. And I doubled down on it. So I'm not saying, like, I like the Bills. I just wonder how I think the impact of a playoff loss in which you miss wide right for the third losing to the Chiefs for the third time and you lost to the Bengals too and it feels like these other teams in the AFC have this sort of edge somehow to get further in the playoffs than you do despite having all these great players I just wonder if there might be a sense of, of like we need to make a change sometimes just for change's sake I'm not I'm not advocating for it yeah Brent's is not saying that Sean McDermott should be fired it's just look at look at the Eagles where there was Hey, Nick around just led us to a Super Bowl, but maybe you were unhappy. Look at the Cowboys, where Mike McCarthy had to get a vote of confidence, even though he's gone 12 and 5 for three straight seasons, where you have these crazy rich guys just get an itchy finger of, why can't we get to the Super Bowl when Patrick Mahomes does it every year? What do I need to do? And sometimes, you know, we saw Sean McDermott fire Ken Dorsey, uh, you know, and obviously that decision worked out, but 
now you're Bill Belichick just got fired. Like, right. Anybody and and fired. even though you fired Dorsey, you're back where you were at the end of last season, at the end of the season before that. And so it's how many times can you uh, rearrange the deck chair? So it's just kind of one of those things where, look, McDermott's done a fantastic job. I think he's a great coach. It's more of what would an owner decide? Billionaires are fickle people. I'm not one. And, and, so and let's know. not forget that, you know, I mean, look, again, I'm not arguing that this should happen. I'm just saying that, you know, McDermott, he's very, um, he got fired by Andy Reid in Philadelphia. And I think that as much as there's a Chiefs own the Bills in the postseason, there's also an Andy kind of owns Sean in the postseason thing, too, that's that I, I feel like he's maybe softly bubbling up a bit around the around this matchup. Okay. We shall see. All right. Let's talk about the other game. There was another um, game. There was another game. What? Feels like it was three days ago. Be aggressive. Uh, B E aggressive, producer Harry says, uh, as the headline for this game. Dan Campbell biting kneecaps, galvanizing a, a city to the point where everyone in that town loves Jared Goff. If I told you when Jared Goff was traded, I think in 2021, uh, that he would be the most popular person in that town. What do you think would have had to have happened for that to be the case? Because it would certainly be non-football related. <laughs> um, the, he uh, he uh, rented a private jet or bought a private jet, tricked Aaron Rodgers and Kirk Cousins into going up in the in in air with him, jumped out in a parachute with like nobody nobody piloting the plane, and didn't have any didn't leave any parachutes in there, and so the. Lions just put default took over the like took or Did he took old, all the Packers quarterbacks. I don't, I don't know, like something outrageous to the me. old Indiana Jones trick. Yeah, absolutely. Gonna jump out with the the inner tube there. Well, uh, Jared Goff had the best uh, had the best performance of the of of certainly on, on Sunday's action. Thirty of forty three for two eighty seven two touchdowns no interceptions. Baker, of course, threw for three forty nine, but he did have the two picks. One on the first drive, where Mike Evans let a ball go through his hands. And <laughs> let's start here. Let's start with C.J. Gardner-Johnson, who won the game and won the battle of social media uh, cut-down contest with Baker Mayfield, who was just minding his own business when C.J. said that uh, if they had a better quarterback, this team could be really good. Any thoughts on old C.J. getting interception? And uh, Well, um, first, he trashed Dark Baker Mayfield all week, and this was not Baker Mayfield's fault at all. Not, not at all. The pass went through Mike Evans' hands. Uh but I cannot believe he didn't get flagged. I mean, he literally took the football and tossed it at Baker Mayfield as if to shove all the trash talking down his throat. Be like, ah, I got the best of you. When again, Baker Mayfield made a great throw and it just went through Mike Evans' hands. And then it ends up in CJ Gardner Johnson's hands and then back in Baker Mayfield's hands. So I was actually shocked that there was no flag there. I mean, it was kind of hilarious to see that in a playoff game, though, where. I mean, the NFL does not like when you taunt the opponent. And I, I would think that taking the ball you intercepted and tossing it back to the quarterback who threw the pass would count as taunting. <laughs> I I would concur with Mr. Breach there. Um yeah, I thought I thought that by I mean, by the way, divisional, you know, this uh this is like widely considered by a lot of people the best weekend in football, best football weekend of the year, maybe, however you want to phrase it. And even if Saturday uh, didn't necessarily deliver the goods from a, you know, like, like you got one good game and one game that wasn't very close. I mean, these two games Sunday were outstanding. Uh, the the Lions and the Bucks started a little slow. You tell teams are kind of, kind of feeling each other out. And then it started getting loose. 
And I thought Baker played pretty well. He played awesome. Lions, yeah, I thought, I thought, okay, cool. Yeah, I thought Baker was awesome. Jared Goff was awesome too. Like all four quarterbacks today played really well. Um, Goff and the Lions were just better, a little bit better, you know. And I think they they kind of they did. It didn't feel like they were pulling that far away. You know, it didn't it almost didn't feel like they won by eight points. They did thirty one twenty three. Of course, um, Tampa Bay couldn't run the ball. The Lions could. Jameer Gibbs is freaking great. Constantly have been taken taken away by or the or takeaway for me with the Lions is that this rookie draft class for them changed everything. I mean, Brian Burns, Jack Campbell, Jameer Gibbs, Sam Laporta, just to name like four guys right off the top who were are just impact guys. You see that most scrimmage CD by a rookie in Lions history behind only Billy Sims in 1980 and Barry Sanders in 89. Jameer Gibbs with 13 scrimmage touchdowns. He has been a game changer. And way more important than Bijan Robinson this season. Yeah, I was thinking about Bijan during that game and why Arthur Smith no longer has a job because he refused to use Bijan and Drake London and Kyle Pitch properly. Shout out to uh, Ben Johnson for for actually using Jameer Gibbs the right way. But I'll say this, Breach. Um, early in the season, Jameer didn't play a lot. They leave him David Montgomery. I think that having those two guys in the backfield together has has made it easier for both of them. But Jameer Gibbs was absolutely electric. Average 8.2 yards uh, per run. And he's also an asset in the past game, had four catches for 40 yards there. But that that's what he did at Alabama, so no surprise. And I don't think it's wild to say that drafting him 12th was, was overdrafting because he's like Christian McCaffrey, and that's what he told us at the combine. That's who he sort of patterned his game after. He does more than just run the ball, and he certainly makes life easy for, for Jared Goff. But my here's something that, that I was thinking about. They struggled a little bit to stop Rashad right, uh, right running the ball, and that's a problem because this defense has at times – not been great. They they were better earlier in the year, and they've gotten sort of. Uh, Cam Sutton had a, a very long afternoon after Mike Evans dropped that ball. He lit his ass up. I think he had four catches for ninety seven yards in the first half, including that one down to the two yard line at the end of the half, and a great drive by Baker to, to get them in the end zone there. Um, I'm a little concerned with what this looks like next week if you can't stop the the run, but uh, we can get to that. But that's just something that crossed my mind. A, a huge win and. You know, I would imagine breach that felt for those Lions fans a lot like it felt for you once the the Bengals finally got to the Super Bowl. I mean, it's the same where first they went to the wild card round and you end the 30 year drought. We saw people crying. We saw old people <laughs> who have waited their whole entire life for this team to end this drought. And it's it, you get emotional. And then to win this playoff game, I, the thing is, it really felt like the fans kind of expected Detroit to win this because I thought Ford Field seemed like it was in shock when the Buccaneers tied this at 10 right before the half. It yeah. really quieted things down. And then the Buccaneers had the ball first first possession of the second half, and they drove quickly into Detroit territory. Everybody just shell-shocked. Uh, and, you know, the Buccaneers probably could have gotten a field goal, but I think Aiden Hutchinson came up with a huge uh, sack on Baker Mayfield that knocked him out of field goal range. Yep. But, yeah, I mean, this is the this is what you have been waiting for. This is there's it's hard to put something like this into perspective, except that it is emotional. And now you have your team going to an NFC title game for the first time since 1991. And I, I, Lions fans should just enjoy it. Soak up every single second because you don't know when this is going to happen again. I'm sure in 1991, they're thinking, we have Barry Sanders. We have the best running back in the NFL. We're going to every NFC title game for the rest of the 90s. And then, you know, now we're 2023, and you're just getting back there for the 2024. <laughs> And you're yeah. just getting back there. So, yeah, soak all of this up, Lions fans. 
Well, I will be curious to see, uh, you know, I thought, I thought Detroit did a really good job of, and not that I expect them to be because they were at home, but you know, like you don't want to be, you don't want to be satisfied. You don't be happy that you're, you know, like you don't be like, all right, we finally won a wild card round. I think Dan Campbell's done a great job of keeping that team level and, and Jared Goff, you know, we talked about this uh, before, but you know, Jared Goff has been to a Super Bowl. You know, this is not somebody coming of age and trying to figure out how to play in the playoffs. He's played well in the playoffs before, helped get the Rams there. They really could have won the title in 2018 pretty easily if Belichick hadn't come up with that plan. But um, it doesn't feel like, I don't know, it feels like the Lions are getting right at the right time. I am very curious to know if, and I think we talked about this last night, but how much of San Francisco and Baltimore, or maybe I talked about it this morning, but did San Francisco and Baltimore start slow because we hadn't seen them in, in a while, right? And is San Francisco going to come out guns blazing against the Lions next weekend? I think uh, – Do you, I have an idea. Do you, What do you think that line is, Wilson? What's wins over Wilson? Peg, Lions at, Lions at Niners. Uh, I want it to be one point lower than what I'm going to say. I'm going to guess seven and a half. It is seven, and it yeah. looks like it's going to go down to six and a half. Yeah, that's what wins over Wilson, like six and a half. Um, one thing I'll note, I saw this on Twitter from Greg Chandler, who I think covers uh, the Lions in Detroit. He wrote, the Lions have uh, just won more playoff games in the last eight days than the previous 66 years. Which that's is awesome. amazing. And uh, mentioning Jared Goff real quick, I want to throw out what he did in the fourth quarter. 11 of 12 for 131 he, yards. He's been clutch, that, man. That's as clutch as it gets. That's when you put this game away. This, this game was tied up at 17 and then Goff decided to go off. That was it. I mean, he played a nearly perfect fourth quarter and put this game away. So, I, I mean, every reason, everybody, I feel like, wants to doubt Jared Goff because, like, well, Sean McVay got rid of him and he's a cast off from the Rams and there's no possible way he can lead the Detroit Lions to the Super Bowl. But now they're one game away. And I do love that this came on, what, the three-year anniversary of Dan Campbell's kneecap yeah. speech. Well, a lot of, lot of, lot of cold takes. I know that's crazy. A lot of cold takes on the kneecap press conference. I'm sure I've got one out there too. Um, I would say with golf too, and this kind of goes back to the Sean McDermott conversation, but this Lions team and this Lions coaching staff, when Jared Goff goes out there in the fourth quarter in big spots, he doesn't have to wonder, are they going to ask me to throw it or are they going to try and melt clock and run the football? He knows they're going to ask him to throw it. He knows they're going to be aggressive as Harry popped up, and that they are going to try and ice the game away and not give the other team a chance to come back by virtue of, you know, they're not going to run the ball three times, try to melt the, you know, melt the clock and, and burn the timeouts. They're going to let Jared Goff throw it. And we've seen that the last two games in these big spots in the playoffs. And I think that's a major advantage in the postseason when you, not necessarily that you are aggressive, but that you have an identity that your players trust and understand and they know when you get to these big moments, win, or, win, lose, or draw, that you're going to keep your foot on the gas. Like I think, I think having that mentality and that approach in the postseason and just that consistent approach is a um, is like a, is is really critical to winning in the postseason. Yeah, I'll go back to that Dallas game in, in the regular season where you guys are giving me a hard time. I was like, yeah, the, Dan Campbell's like, we're going for it. Whatever happens, happens. It doesn't matter. Number two, number three seed, and that's just sending a message to everyone else and to the locker room that we're biting kneecaps. And and I think 
the confidence with which Jared Goff play uh, is playing has a lot to do with how he's been treated since he's gotten there. And I, you know, ask Jordan Love if confidence is important. I mean, he was sitting behind Aaron Rodgers for a few years. He probably didn't know what his future was going to be. And all these guys are good, man. I mean, so it's just a matter of, of getting everyone to believe what you're doing. And, and I don't know if there's any team better than than the Lions in terms of getting these guys motivated. Um, not to throw a wet blanket on this, but I was looking. I looked this up during the game because I was curious because uh, Kate Otten went off, which is something you don't typically say. The Lions ranked uh, 32nd in the NFL last month and a half this regular season against tight ends. George Kittle. Yeah. Uh, Follow-up to that, they ranked 32nd against wide receivers as well. They gave over 230 yards to wide receivers. <laughs> so Mike, uh, Mike Evans is no longer playing, but he was Exhibit A, and Exhibit B will be Brandon Ayuk and per perhaps Debo, who we talked about last night, if he's healthy enough to go. But that's a conversation for later. Right now we're celebrating uh, the Lions doing something that they had not done in over 66 years. Um, Breach, anything you want to add to, to what we got there? Goff's most, cl most clutch throw. It was 24-17, Lions facing third and 15 from their own 44. And if they have to punt there, they're only up a touchdown. Instead, boom, 16-yard laser to Monroe St. Brown. You get the first down. You score a touchdown on that drive. And at that point, it felt like game over. I mean, 31-17, obviously game over. But that play felt like game over, that one play. I feel like, and we'll take a break in a second, I feel like to follow up on what Brenton said about the the previous game. I think that the, I think the Bucks played a better second half than the Bills did. Like the way Baker was dealing, Dave Canales first time play caller hadn't called plays before at all. And no, I'm not crapping on Joe Brady, but just in terms of that last drive there, it felt like to Brenton's point, this game was a lot closer than than it ended up being, just because it was sort of back and forth. Didn't it didn't feel like an eight point game? Oh uh, oh, let's um. Hot topic of uh, discussion was the going for two down 14. I know we've covered that, but. Um, oh, yeah. Breach had a nice little tweet about it. What so, would you have done, Britton? I You go there. I mean, the, the, I understand that it's, um, it's, it's like hard math to wrap your head around or hard game theory, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but the logic is this you have, it's like what 55% chance of getting a two point conversion roughly. And look, I think that personnel matters, coaching, like who your coach is matters and your play call matters a ton in these spots. Like you can't just, the Panthers can't just go out there and do this every, you know, go for two, like, like, it, like it doesn't mean anything. You need to have the proper personnel in place. I think um, Tampa Bay does, but you go for two when you're down 14 in the fourth quarter, because if you get the two point conversion, you can then oh, look at Harry, look at producer Harry. This is the math. You go for two. If you convert, you kick the extra point, you're up one, and you win in regulation. And that is the difference to me, is that you can still get to over. Overtime is a field goal, or is, excuse me, is a coin toss, a literal coin toss. It is a coin toss, a 50-50 chance of whether or not you'll win. So the, the percent chance of getting one of those two convert or getting that first conversion is higher than that. That's why it makes sense. You also have to convert the extra points. You can see the math on the screen, but – to me, it it does make sense to go for two. Yeah, I mean that's the the simple the simple explanation. If you kick the extra point, your best case scenario is taking the game to overtime. Correct. And if you make the two point conversion, now your best case scenario becomes winning the game, and that's essentially what it comes down to. I do think, you know, Brinson mentioned who you have on your offense and who your play caller is, and and that factors into it. But I do think it the the actual situation itself needs a factor into it. Like 
four minutes left in a playoff game versus four minutes left in the regular season. If I'm Tampa Bay, I'm okay. I, I think the longer a game lasts as a road underdog, the better you have a chance of winning it just because yeah. it, it, you're kind of keeping the, you get the crowd out of it. Uh, so I, like I, I, the math makes sense. The math absolutely makes sense, but I was torn on this one. I, I, I don't think an extra point would have been crazy. You know, it also helps here. Uh, if Mike Evans jumps up straight for the ball instead of sort of backpedals because then he gets or runs through and, and, and draws the flag and then you just quarterback sneak it. The, the other thing too, is that I do understand the argument, the psychological argument that if you don't get the two point conversion, that your team feels like you are down possibly like you're only down one, one possession. Cause you still have the two point conversion to go for. But it does. It is. It's tough to take as a, I think the, from the team's mentality. But you're, again, you're also just down eight. You know, like I mean, you know, the extra extra points are harder than they used. I I understand going for it. I think it's more commonplace and more accepted now than it used to be. Uh, but I, I can I can I can see the argument against it in, in certain spots. I would have gone for it. All right, there you go. I don't have an issue going for it. Makes sense to me too. Um, uh, okay, but if we want to grill a Todd Bowles decision, here's one. How about using your freaking timeout? Uh, at the end of the game, the, the, him, Buccaneers, yeah. the Buccaneers had one timeout and Jared Goff yielded it with 36 seconds left and Tampa just on third down. On third, yeah. And, and, and the Bucks just let the clock run out. You call a timeout and you make them try a field goal. So if, and who knows if they even try the field goal. So Detroit had the ball at Tampa Bay's 30 yard line. So if you call and you lose a yard on the kneel down, so 31, you call the timeout. It is now fourth and 13. So, Either the Lions are going to punt it or run around for five seconds and chuck it in the end zone or try a field goal. And a field goal is not a gimme from 49 yards. If you block it, if if they miss it, you get the ball at the 39-yard line. You need 61 yards to tie the game, and you have 34 seconds or probably five seconds off the clock. You have 29 seconds. But it blows my mind that a coach in the playoffs would go home with the timeout in a one-score game where Insane. they could have – gotten their their the buccaneers offense would have gotten the ball back it was it was fourth down like even if they make the field goal you're getting the ball back like you could if they make the field goal maybe you return the kick to midfield you take one shot you take make one quick play kick the field goal and then go for an onside it's like you have to extend the game it was insane that he did that all right todd bowles will have a long time to think about that let's take a quick break when we come back We'll wrap things up here and get our uh, MVPs as well right after this. All right, Brinson, uh, Baker Mayfield is out of contract, signed a one-year, $4 million deal. Uh, is there any way Tampa Bay doesn't resign him? Only if somebody else offers him a ton of money and Tampa is trying to be cheap about it or Dave Canales lands a head coaching job. I guess those things could all factor into it. But I do think there's a really good relationship with Todd Bowles there. There's a really good relationship with the GM, Jason Light. And I would be very surprised if Baker Mayfield did not come back to Tampa Bay. Breach, do you franchise him? <laughs> I'm only half kidding. <laughs> uh, if he wants $50 million a year, then maybe. <laughs> I think they want it, both sides would want to work something out. So I, I think they'll work something out. I mean, he they definitely he said, I think the quote was, this is the most comfortable I've been in my entire career. And, you know, it's a low-pressure situation. Maybe Belichick comes to the the Falcons or somebody good comes to the Falcons and, and the division is a little bit tougher next year. But by and large, I mean, the Buccaneers, we we, we all collectively whiffed on Tampa Bay. Pete Prisco is the only person I know who was trying to suggest that Tampa could be an issue this year, maybe outside of some local people. And, you know, in hindsight, 
you look, I mean, I know they were like what four and seven at one point. So I mean, that's you know, it's, it's easy to say that now that they made the playoffs, but um, really, like, like they should have been the clear favorite to win the division, and they were the, they were the longest shot to win the division. And like we said last week, their players tried to tell us that. Yep, Tristan Wirfs was like, "We're going, we're going to the playoffs. Just sign us up, right?" And you don't hear players say that often, so. Hopefully we don't overlook them next year. I remember, I do remember thinking, and I don't, I didn't say this. I mean, like you have to take me on my word here, but um, I do remember thinking that it was like, man, this is like, whether is it going to be the Falcons or the Saints thing is a little too, maybe the, you know, maybe the Panthers are involved. It's a little bit too easy, right? Like Tampa's just not going to be involved in the, in the playoff on at all in this terrible division. In hindsight. So quickly, Baker uh, ranked 59th in terms of average annual value this year among quarterbacks. Uh, Let's play a quick game here. I'll name some names. You tell me whether they made more or less uh, than uh, Baker Mayfield. Uh, Kenny Pickett. More. More? Less. Really? Marcus Mariota. Less. More. More. Wow. (laughs) Kenny Pickett made less than Baker on a rookie deal? Oh, because you get the big signing bonus in the yeah, small yeah, just the average, oh, right, right, right. We would have gotten that value. if we thought about it. Yeah, average yeah. annual value. All right, we'll do one more here. Uh, uh, Andrew James Dalton, whatever Dalton's middle name is. Andrew Gregory Dalton. Yeah. More. Um, more. $5 million. Yeah. Yeah. All right, what so did he make this year? Four. One four. That is crazy. He made, more than bigger- he made bonuses, too. Yeah, I'm just going with the average annual value breach. But Baker also former number one overall pick. So I mean, he's you know, and and he has all that sweet, sweet progressive money. So it's not like he's, you know, he got that's all he, actually that's all he got breached one four according to Spot Track. I don't know. It doesn't mention bonus. Well, he he won like he got the bonus for winning the division. He I think he got two hundred thousand dollar bonus for winning a playoff game. He had at least another million dollars. He had bonuses for finishing the top ten and key passing stats. So I think he made closer to six million when all the bonuses are factored in, but that was his base salary. So your game oh, was yeah. correct. They don't have that. I'm I just don't want people to think Baker's poor. Go ahead and set the numbers. Well, uh, to be fair, Andy Dalton probably won all those things for all the playoff games he won this year too. All right, let's go to the MVPs. Uh, Who wants to go first? Um, if Brenton doesn't want to, I can go. I'm ready. Uh, I'll go. Uh, I'll go. Oh, I got one. I got one. No. Uh, Gonna steal Mike. I already told. I'm not, you. No, I'm not, I, I highly doubt I'm gonna steal yours. My uh, Brinson VP goes to Lions center Frank Ragnow. Uh, Chris Collinsworth rightly praised him during that game. Ragnow has suffered some like serious injuries this season and is still not missing time. You could see him on the sidelines wincing, like in insane, just in like in crazy painful fashion. Like he was very clearly struggling badly with injury, but just was not going to leave that game. And you listen to the coaches talk about him and golf talk about all these guys, all his teammates talk about him. And he's like, there's like, this dude is an absolute savage. One of the toughest guys on planet earth. And I think if Ragnall has to leave that game and can't come back in after he, I think it was a, was it a shoulder injury in this game? I think knee, no, the knee injury. Yeah. He got rolled, yeah, yeah, ankle ankle got rolled up onto. Yeah. 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 He got rolled up on by Jergoff, but he has like another like neck and shoulder injury he's been dealing with. And almost certainly if he is going to require some more surgery this offseason, I think. And for him to stay out there, I don't know if they win that game with it, with him on the bench or with him in the locker room, because Vita Vea is such a problem. They're not going to run the ball nearly as well. He was dominant down by the goal line when they needed him to be. And he was, I, th- I think that he really epitomizes what Dan Campbell is about 
as a coach, as a guy who's trying to build culture in a team. And like, how could anybody on that, that Lions team even consider not staying on the field and doing whatever it takes when Ragnar is out there doing that against like a guy the size of Vita Vea? All right. It is crazy right, that you went back out there. Breach, what do you got? My breach VP goes to two people oh, who are related. It goes to the Kelsey brothers. Jason Kelsey. Look, that was the most entertaining part of the this the game was a classic. And you throw in the fact that Jason Kelsey was shirtless and shotgunning beers with Bills fans every time the Chiefs scored. I mean, that just added a twist that no one saw coming. He was out in the parking lot doing shots with Bills fans. This guy was enjoying life. And then when you throw in the fact that, look, we've spent a couple weeks talking about is Travis Kelsey looking old? It, you, the three games before the playoffs, I don't think he had more than 45 yards. And it was just like, well, if he doesn't get going, that's kind of the part that the Chiefs needed if this offense is going to work and they're going to win games in the playoffs. So he goes over 70 yards against the Dolphins, no touchdowns. Then against the Bills, boom, 75 yards, two touchdowns. You have him and Mahomes. We saw the graphic earlier, have now connected 16 times for postseason scores, which is the NFL record, better than Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski. And you throw in all the Taylor Swift reactions we saw, but with a shirtless Jason Kelsey in the background. Just It was the chef's kiss of a perfect night for the Kelsey family. Uh, just just to add on to that, too, and, I, and I'm not – I love Cody Benjamin, so don't uh, – I don't want this to be like me <laughs> – uh, suggesting that that he didn't, and he did do a good job. He's like uh, Jason Kelsey. Maybe he didn't want to double down. His first headline, I believe, was uh, "Look, Jason Kelsey crashes Bills fan tailgate, joins Taylor Swift in suite to support Travis Kelsey and Chiefs." Uh, but then later came back and was like, "Travis Kelsey celebrate." He buried the lead a little bit on just how shirtless Jason Kelsey was when he talked about the heart of me. Yeah. Like, like to me, it was like, Oh cool. He did the heart to Taylor Swift. That's cool. But then it's like drunken shirtless. Jason Kelsey is leaping out of a luxury box into the stands after his brother scores a touchdown. That is wild. Yeah. I think that's, that's what you do when you well, retire. That, well, that's where you got to decide. Are you going for the NFL fans or are you going for the 500 million Swifties mm, out there? That's a good call. That's a good call. Tough decision. By, by the way, I mean, just like Jason Kelsey, has to be the number one ranked NFL player you want to get a beer with, right? I mean, the, the, remember the Mummers outfit at the Super Bowl, the, the Super Bowl parade? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think. He called Mike. That? He called Mike Lombardi a jabroni. Well, now he has a podcast. He's just like us. He's a normal person. Um. All right. My MVP is going to be pretty boring. Breach went with two people, which breaks rules. I'm going with 66,000 people breach everyone that attended that Lions game and got to enjoy two wins in eight days, something they hadn't accomplished in 66 years prior. So shout out to Detroit. I mean, that's amazing. Uh, enjoy it. Cause I don't know what's going to come next week. If you win great. If you don't, you know, you ran into the bus, all those 49ers, but I'll say this. Tell me what you guys think of this. Who is going to be more aggressive next week calling the game, Dan Campbell or Kyle Shanahan? <laughs> exactly. So buckle up, San Francisco. This won't be a cakewalk because Dan Campbell's bringing the uh, the knee well, biting kit with him. Well, Wilson, I, I mean, just to that point, like we referenced that several times before the Rams Lions game. Like, all right, the Rams are probably the better team here, and I think we could win. But if Dan Campbell gets, it's just like if Dan Campbell is just aggressive, they're hitting all these fourth downs, they could beat anybody. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And uh, they are really good in the red zone. They are three for four today, and that's that carries over. That'll also be something to, to concern about. But we'll talk about that later in the week. For now, that's a wrap, boys. The divisional rounds are in the book. We're on to the conference championship. Thanks to all you guys who watch and listen and comment. Thank you to producer Harry, for Wilbur, for Johnny Boy. I'm Ryan Wilson. We'll see you guys later.